Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We're so glad you're here, and we continue to appreciate all the faces we haven't seen in a while, some guests, some folks who have been away a little while and come back wherever you are. Those at home know that we love you. We miss you. We need you. Uh, all of us are, are a part of this church and continue to be important to come together as the body. Well, as we have done the last several weeks, we're having one of our graduating se uh, seniors read our scripture for us. So this morning, Anne-Marie Coy, who is Tulane bound, is coming up. She's going to read from 2 Corinthians 8, if you want to open your Bible, and that'll also be on the screen behind me. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Thank you, Emory. So in 2 Corinthians, what we know at least is Paul's fourth letter to this church. Paul, when he is writing this, is in the middle of a collection that's actually taking place in churches all over the region. And so he's collecting money from the church in Corinth. He's also collecting money from churches in the region of Macedonia, including Philippi and others. And they're collecting money to send it back to the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem is dealing with a massive problem of a large number of people in poverty. And so they have been collecting money for, for some time, and these churches would gather together at least on a weekly basis, and people would put some money aside for the local church, and then some money aside for this special collection, and they couldn't just Venmo the money. They had to collect it all at once, and someone would come through and gather it, and then travel to the church in Jerusalem. And this was a great symbol of their compassion and care for the poor in Jerusalem. But it was also a symbol of unity and solidarity because you think of these churches scattered across the Roman Empire and they are made up largely of what kind of people? Of Gentiles. But the church in Jerusalem is made up largely of what kind of people? Jews. And it doesn't take reading through the New Testament long to see that the integration of Jews and Gentiles, along with the integration of slave and free and all the different walls that separated people, it was a difficult task. And so for Paul, this was important. This shows your compassion and concern for people living in poverty, but it also shows a solidarity that we are one church despite our many differences. In fact, Paul reminds this church in Corinth, guess what? You're the first church who asked to do this collection. This was your idea. 
And this was a good thing, but like most New Year's resolutions that I have, it starts really strong, and then it peters out. Into December, beginning of January, I'm like, I'm going to exercise. And by the end of January, I'm like, whose idea was it for me to exercise? That was a terrible idea. And Paul says, you started strong. You began this thing, and you began a good race. It's time to see it to completion. It's time to get this thing across the finish line. But here's the challenge with generosity, at least one of the challenges. Sometimes it's easy to have moments of generosity and compassion. What can be challenging is to sustain it over the long haul. Because to sustain generosity and compassion and concern for those who don't have enough, well, that takes us fighting against certain instincts of self-preservation, right? Instincts for our preferences, what we want, what we envision, our dreams for our stuff. To sustain it over the long haul takes time, and sometimes it takes a reorientation of heart and mind. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but for a few minutes, I want to talk about one of the many problems that we've faced over the last 16 months. And the problem I want to talk about is shortages. Now this, I don't know if I'm alone in this. Does, does anyone else get the shivers when they see this sign at Starbucks? Beware, there may be outages, shortages. I don't know. This one sends me into cold sweats. Maybe, maybe I'm alone in this. But if that doesn't do it, there's all kinds of shortages that we've been facing over the last 16 months. You, you have a production shortage in Bentonville, and it means problems in Brooklyn. You have a, a supply shortage that starts halfway across the world, and it impacts what happens here in little old Little Rock, Arkansas. You have a massive ship get stuck in the Suez Canal for a week, and it impacts 15% of the world's trade for a week or weeks or months. So here's just a few of the shortages that have been in the news or maybe you've run into. Chicken wings and all things pork, most concerning of which for my daughter is a shortage of bacon. Microchips for cars, mean, meaning there's not as many new cars being produced and manufacturing has slowed down or shut down. Homes for sale and new lumber for new homes. And we've got some home builders in here. And you may have experienced not the pinch, but the increase of cost. Furniture back up because of fabric and foam shortages from overseas, medical supplies of all kinds. So there are warnings now. There's oxygen supplies that are, that are, there's a concern of shortage there, blood supply shortage. And we've gotten calls from the blood bank and uh, we're, we're going to try to do another blood drive soon. They asked for one months ago and I was like, hey, no one's here to give blood, but hopefully they'll be, they'll be coming back soon and we'll 
we'll do what we can. We'll open a vein. We'll help out. We remember all the shortages from the mask at the beginning of this thing. Great nuts. Did you know there was a great nut shortage? This is an outrage. How are we going to break a tooth at 7 a.m. in the morning if we don't have our grape nuts? Ketchup packages from all the takeout that happened, and as if that weren't enough, Chick-fil-A shortages. Now, those of you who weren't concerned about Starbucks, you got concerned about that one, didn't you? But we also know that some of the shortages that we experienced weren't just supply-related, were they? There are other things at play. In fact, we can develop certain instincts even from a young age that we're going to go after what we want, even if it means going after what we want and all that we want, sometimes means that others don't have enough. So I want to introduce you to this little girl I've read about just this week, and maybe you saw this story. This is Leona cutie celebrating her third birthday and she is a Lion King fan loves the movie Lion King and so she asked for a Lion King themed birthday cake but not just any theme from the movie she asked for one particular scene maybe you can figure it out from the image it is the scene where Mufasa Simba's father dies. And here's why she asked for that scene. She said, when people see the cake, everyone will be too sad to eat the cake, and it will be all for me. Let's zoom in just a little bit on this image. Go in just a little bit more. I got to catch my breath on that one. Now, her mother said she's got a very, a big sense of humor and a, and a quirky sense of humor. And so she, she meant it as a joke, and I, I hope she meant it as a joke. That is a fantastic story. But what Leona reminds us is that instinct that can kick in at a really early age, it doesn't automatically grow away. We don't necessarily grow out of that when we get older. We have to choose paths, choose ways of thinking and being to get us out of there. Often, we still have some of those instincts. We just do a better job of hiding them. So I want to go back to one of the shortages that got the most play on the news at the beginning of the pandemic. And you know the shortage I'm talking about because everyone talked about it. I'm talking about the toilet paper shortage. And experts, when they looked at this, said there was no logical reason for a run on toilet paper, like run on the banks during the Great Depression. People stocked up for three years as if they knew some horrible side effect of the coronavirus that none of the rest of us knew. Trust me, you're going to need three three years worth of toilet paper in about one week. Get as much as you can. And no one could figure out why, but to me, it invited an interesting look into our hearts and minds during times of fear, because what it exposes is is not just greed, although that may be part of it, 
but what we run to when we're afraid of how we can become myopic. We lose sight of the needs of everyone else. If I can just protect me and mine, to borrow a phrase from Elaine from Seinfeld, I cannot spare a square. Because if I spare a square, if if I give up a role that's available to me, then what happens if someone else takes it? And they take it all. And so, it's best for me to just go ahead and grab 20 multi-packs of eight-ply, quilted, plush, pillowy, soft, yet strong, and unbreakable toilet paper. And I'll leave the the two-pack of the see-through, half-ply, sandpaper-like tissue paper masquerading as toilet paper for the the poor people who couldn't get off work early and get all the toilet paper like I did. And what was especially interesting to me was that it was eventually stores that had to serve as our conscience. It was the stores who had to put signs up to say, hey, you know what would be a good idea? Is if you got enough, but not too much, so that the next person could get enough, but not too much, so that the next person could get enough, but not too much. Which ironically is a principle that Paul lays out for this church. Although he says we've got some deeper instincts and motivation that should inform this way of thinking and being. It is this idea that everyone has enough. So look at verse 13. Our desire, he says, is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Everyone has enough. In other words, he's saying this isn't about some sort of financial reversal where now the rich become poor and the poor become rich. He's not talking about solving destitution by creating destitution, but he's talking about a mindset, again, where everyone has enough. And so what he says to the church in Corinth is, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then he repeats himself, the goal is equality. Everyone has enough. Right now, they don't have enough. Right now, he says, you have more than enough. And you can give some of your more than enough to help them in their place of not enough. And who knows, he says, someday the roles may be reversed. Everyone at some time will contribute in one way or another. And it doesn't have to be money. People who are impoverished financially are not bankrupt from things that they can offer. In fact, the contrary is true. Uh, is true. Everyone has 
value. Everyone has things to offer, things that money alone can't buy. That's what Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12. Some people have wisdom, some people have experience, some people have perspective, some people are overflowing with joy and kindness. What does God do through the Spirit? God gifts everyone so that everyone has something to bring to the table. Everyone has something to contribute. And then he ends that section with this in verse 15. As it is written, the one who has gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And in case you miss the reference, this is an Exodus reference. This is a collecting manna every morning reference. When God lays out this way of being community, in which he shows that he's always been concerned, that the plenty of some doesn't lead to the poverty of others. And to further the lesson that everyone has something to offer and everyone should offer something, he teaches this. It's not the amount, it's the attitude. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And isn't that the lesson that Jesus teaches with the widow at the temple? You remember that story? Where a widow who has very little is standing back and first people are putting their money in the collection and it seems they're making a show. And it is an impressive show because they're dropping all kinds of coin into the collection. Kind of like the way I like to put my quarters in the collection when I was a kid. Especially in the days before they had felt on the bottom. And you can make that thing cling. But even once they put the felt in, you can work around it. Just roll it like dice off the side. You're going to get some good sound going. I love to put those quarters in. And these people were making a show. And then this widow comes up. Puts in a few pennies worth and some pocket lint. She did not have much to offer. And yet, who was Jesus most impressed by? It was this woman who gave not out of her place of plenty, but out of her place of poverty. And Jesus highlights her. That's the heart of giving that I'm looking for. Now, I have seen moving generosity of all kinds. So I've seen, and we all know about people who have a lot who give a lot, and they give a lot on a regular basis, and they do it generously, and they do it without strings attached, and sometimes they do it quietly or anonymously. They see a need, and they step up, and they help out, and that is blessed generosity. But I have been also on the receiving end of mind-blowing generosity from people who have very little, who I'm thinking I should be giving to you, not you, you, you giving to me, but they want to give because they're overflowing with generosity. And some of the most gut-busting meals I've received are in foreign countries where people had little, and then it kept on coming and coming, and they just kept feeding. There was an overflowing of hospitality that was handed out 
You may remember for the last several years now, Emery Coy, who read our scripture this morning, has come up here every year and sometimes gone to our classes, and she's talked about the Change for Change campaign, which is a drive that raises money for people who are struggling with food insecurity. Has always done an amazing job with that. And it is a reminder to us every time we take one of those little coin containers home that even a little bit, when done with generosity and a generous spirit can go a long way, and a whole lot a little bit can add up to a lot. And I don't know where your place of plenty is. For some of you, one of your places of plenty may be in a monetary way. And if it is, it may not be coins that you give, but it may be larger amounts. And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about seeing the need in the community around us and in the world around us and stepping up in meaningful ways. But there are plenty of people that their place of plenty may not be money. But you have so much to give. For some of you, it may be time. And if that's what you have right now in this phase of your life, be generous and give. For some of you, it's the ability or willingness to tutor or to babysit. Be generous with that. For some of you, it's the willingness to visit and be present with people who are alone or people who are sick. And it's been difficult to do over the last 16 months. But things are opening back up, and some people need that now more than ever. It may be time to open up your heart and show that generosity. And it may be a presence in person. It may be presence over the phone or to offer encouragement. Be willing to give. For some of you, it's offering a casserole to someone who's lost someone or someone who's had a new baby. For some of you, it's offering tax help or legal help or medical help for people who don't have easy access to it. What does Paul say twice? The goal is equality. That everyone has enough. People are equally valued and cared for in every place of need especially among the community of faith, is addressed by someone else's place of plenty. But he takes it a step further, and I think this is interesting. And maybe you noticed this in the passage that Anne-Marie read at the beginning. Because it's not always places of plenty that challenge our generosity and compassion the most. Sometimes it's places where we don't feel like we have a lot, like that widow, and yet we open our hearts. And Paul says that's what the Macedonian churches did. In the midst of their severe trial, verse 2, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, he says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. 
we don't know all that much about these churches, especially from this passage. But what are the things we learn? They're going through some sort of severe trial right now, and they are not rich. He, he describes their situation as one of extreme poverty, which makes their extreme generosity that much more impressive. Again, it's not about the amount, the attitude, but notice they had a place of plenty. And what was it? Where were they overflowing? In joy. They were overflowing in joy, in compassion, in grace. And so they begged for the privilege to serve others by sharing with others. I want that kind of heart. Overflowing with joy, overflowing with compassion, overflowing with generosity kind of heart. I want to be a generous helper, but I don't want that to just be occasional. Because we can all lean into generosity occasionally, but when joy overflows, when gratitude overflows, when grace overflows, then generosity isn't just something we do occasionally. But compassionate, generous people is who we are. And notice for the Macedonian churches, he says, that's not a passive frame of mind. That is an active frame of mind. They didn't wait for the problem to materialize, that mindset that says, if there's a need, someone's going to ask me. Their mindset was, we want to help. We want to do what we can. Can we jump in here? Can we help out there? Can we contribute to this? Contribute with what we have and who we are? And that is what our church needs right now, and that is what our world needs right now. We need more people joyfully and generously looking for the ways that we can use what God has given us to help others in their places of need. And by the way, in case we or they need any more motivation, he says, just in case you forgot, this is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you his poverty might become, uh, his poverty might become rich. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song that celebrates that. All for love's sake became poor. We've sung that. This is where that comes from. And this is why this is critical. Because over the last 16 months, there have been a lot of instincts within us and among us as a society that lead us to stockpile, right? To circle the wagons. Lead us to that every woman, man, and child for themselves mentality. I'm looking out for me, and I'm looking out for mine, and that's understandable. 
It's important to care for our families. It's important to look out for ourselves. It's just it's easy when we get into that mindset to only think of self. And Jesus keeps turning ourselves inside out. Don't close your eyes to the need that is all around us. We are a people who are never satisfied when we have excess, but others are excluded. In our places of plenty, we try to keep learning the lesson to loosen our grip and to share and to show up in people's lives and be generous with who we are and what we have to offer. And at times, like that Macedonian church, even in our places of scarcity, we want to be the kind of people that overflow with joy, that leads to compassion and grace. And in all of that, we look to Jesus. Not just as the one who saves us, but the one who shows us a new kind of way. Who was rich in every way and yet emptied himself to lift us up.